If you have a Bible, would you please open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 9. Dr. Fainer read this to us very ably just a few moments ago, but I'd like you to look at it again. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Famous text, oft repeated, perhaps not often enough. Verse 9, it says, However, as it is written, No eye has seen... No ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love Him. Now, most scholars would agree that this is speaking of heaven. Paul here is looking to the future, and as he sees the future, the place that comes after this one, for those who love the Lord, he says, no eye has seen, no no ear has heard, even into the mind of man, it has not entered what God has prepared for his people. That is one of his descriptions of heaven. And if that is true, then I would conclude at least two things. Number one, when it comes to heaven... We are going to have to use our imaginations. You say, why would we have to use our imagination? Because no eye has seen and no ear has heard and never has entered into our minds exactly, precisely what it is that God has in store for us. So we need to use our imaginations. This is why if you go online and maybe you go to you know, iStock or something like that and, and you type in the word heaven, you will go on an imagination journey. This is one that came up here. You know, this, this gate and these doves flying through. I assume those are doves and not wild turkeys or something. But th- there's this arch that is here and it's up in the clouds and that's kind of it. We say, well, yeah, it's not entirely theologically correct, but there is some imagination shown here. How about this one? This is a little bit more correct. You know, this city here, then indeed it talks about this city up there. There's the doves again that are flying into this frame as well. Imagination is required if we are going to get a glimpse of the specifics that God has placed in His Word speaking of heaven. That's the first thing. The second conclusion that I draw is this. Wherever our sanctified imaginations take us, they must always lead us to conclude that heaven will be better. What word did I say? Better. You say, better than what? Everything. Anything good that you experience right now, it will be better. Assuming that it is righteous and good, that which you are experiencing. It will be better in heaven. In fact, to help drive this point home, that it will be better in heaven. I need your help. Every time during, during, during the next few minutes here that we're together, every time that I, that I cut my hand to my ear like this, I would like you to say the word better. Let's try this. One, two, three. Okay, one, two, three. Okay, now. We just started the sermon and you're already not following what's going on here. All right, so let's try that again. One, two, three. Aha, very good. Yes, when, I, when the hand comes up here, that, so you will know that that is your cue, all right? So let's be clear. What is coming in heaven is... Then what we currently have, what is coming in heaven will be than anything that we can experience here. And with that in mind, I would like us to do a brief trip through Scripture using our sanctified imagination guided by God's Word and learn about the 
that is just around the corner. Turn in your Bibles, please, again. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. 2 Corinthians, the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 1. To the best of our knowledge, this is uh, the second letter, uh, that at least certainly we have extant, that Paul wrote here to the Corinthians. The Corinthian church was quite an interesting and energetic place. Paul had to deal with a number of issues there, but he's rounding out at least his published communication with some information about the very place we want to know more of, about heaven. Let's see what he says. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now, pause for just a moment. The Apostle Paul here, we're not entirely sure exactly what he's referring to here with the third heaven. Uh, Some people say that, well, Paul had this cosmology that was in common with the Jews at that time, seven levels of heaven, but that wouldn't fit with this third one. And Others say, well, there were three heavens. There was the air we breathe. Uh, There were the stars at night. That's the second heaven. And then the place where God dwells. That would be the third heaven. Whatever the case, it's clear that Paul is speaking about the dwelling place of God. This is is what he's speaking of. And it is he himself that has experienced this. He's graciously speaking of himself in the third person. But nonetheless, if we were to read, it's very clear. Paul is speaking of his own personal experience. So let's see what he says. Uh, Verse 3. And I know that this man... Whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows. He was caught up to, what's that next word? Paradise. Ah, interesting. He heard inexpressible things, things that a man is not permitted to tell. Well, that was a waste of time, wasn't it? Here we'd like to know about heaven, and we get there, and Paul, Paul goes, he has this vision about it, he's risen up to it, whatever it is, and then he says, sorry, not only do words not, are they not able to express what I saw, but I don't have permission to tell you. Blessedly, Paul does drop us a clue about what heaven will be like. He, he used that word paradise, paradise. Now, that's actually a, a, a Persian word, also occurs in Sanskrit, there's a few other places that it comes from, but mostly Persian is where we, we tend to draw that word from. Paul borrows it here, and Paul was generally quite particular about the words that he chose, as with all the other Bible writers. He chose paradise. Well, what does the Persian word paradise mean? It means park. So what is it, heaven's a park? Well, apparently so. And we must remember then immediately, if heaven is a park, we must remember that all of heaven will be than anything that we have here on earth, including our parks. Now, I have been to a few nice parks. Let me just put some things here on the screen for you. Where is this at? Grand Canyon. That's right. The Grand Canyon there, when I was a kid, I remember the first time that I went to the Grand Canyon. We were traveling for the summer. I was with my my dad, my stepmother, etc. And and we got out and I got out of the van and you could kind of see like over the parking lot, a little bit of the horizon. It looked mostly like desert. I went up to the edge and I knew immediately why they called it Grand it's just incredible. It's not just a gigantic hole in the ground. Well, it is a gigantic hole in the ground. But it's this incredible, the, the grandeur of it all, the, the scope, the, the strata that you can see illustrated here, the, the, the water and the way the erosion has taken place. And sometimes of year, there's even greenery, depending on where you're at, Zion, etc., the colors that are there. It is incredible. But heaven will be 
than the Grand Canyon. And it's also going to be better than Yellowstone National Park. Now, I've been to Yellowstone a number of times as well. It's one of my favorite places to visit. It's this, this, this beautiful place. The breadth and the depth of the ecosystems that are found just inside of Yellowstone. It's an amazing place to be. And of course, there's always an element of danger, isn't there? You don't know if you're going to fall into some sort of you know, fountain that comes out of the ground. There'll be a bear that will find you. It's this incredible, exciting place to be. But heaven will be than Yellowstone. In fact, it will even be better than this place. Where's this? Grand Tetons. Now, that's interesting. More of you knew that it was the Tetons than Yellowstone. Did you know they're like two minutes apart from each other? You should stop by sometime because the Tetons is an incredible place. Mother Earth decided that she had indigestion and one day, boom, these things came up. I mean, they, they just come straight up from the desert soil. It's an incredible. They're, they're so stark in their beauty. A few years ago, uh, my wife's side of the family, we got together there at the Grand Tetons. And we, we had uh, bicycles, we rented bicycles, and we went along this, this bicycle path that goes along the Tetons. I think it's one of the most dangerous bicycle paths in the world. Not because the terrain is treacherous, but because you're constantly doing this, you know. You're looking up and you're going to run into somebody and make a scene and whatnot. But, but it's, it is absolutely gorgeous. The water is there. This is not an anomaly. There are bodies of water right there. Lakes and the river runs by through there. It is absolutely incredible. But heaven will be than anything the Tetons could ever do, even on their best day. And notice this. Uh, this is Capri Falls in Ponape. I did not know today that our children's story was actually going to feature the island of Ponape. I was a student missionary there, there as well. I've met, there's actually four of us at least that went, that went to Ponape. Raise your hand if you went to Ponape as a student missionary. Okay, still just four of us, but we're glad that you're here. Yes. And, and on Ponape, I wish I had a picture of this falls. I was there back in the last millennium in the dark ages of photography. And so I did not carry with me, I, I did, you know, there no phones in those days to take pictures with, and I did not take many pictures. So this is Caprori Falls, just to give you a little hint of what it was. I am guessing that this was the Seven Waterfalls Trail. I don't know for sure. We, were, we, we walked out into the jungle. We did not get lost. No offense, Kayla. We did not get lost. And, and when it, we, the jungle kind of opened up and I looked to my left, I could still see it clear as a bell. It was absolutely astonishing. I have never seen such beauty any other place on planet Earth. It was a series of three waterfalls going down. And they went off into the distance. I'm going to guess it was probably a thousand feet. So th I mean, this is, not, this is not a small amount of distance here. There was a little bit of mist in the jungle and the sides of the jungle went straight up from the water's edge. There was no, no sandy beach or anything like that. The, the greenery came right down to the water. And it went over one waterfall and then you could look in the distance a little bit, went over the next one, you could down a little bit, it went down the other one. These beautiful crystal clear waters. You could see some flowers in the trees there. No telephone poles, no power lines, no traffic, no skyscrapers, no other people, just us and God's garden. It was absolutely astonishing. It was one of those places when, 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 when me and the other SMs came out there, everybody was just quiet. Because it took your breath away how beautiful God's creation could be. And yet, heaven will be than anything that Ponape on its best day could ever offer. Now, it's not only the parks 
that will be better. How many of you like your particular usual form of transportation? You know, I appreciate the honesty of the 10 of you that raised your hands because they're like, does he mean my car? Yeah, 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 I mean your car, okay, right? Or your bicycle or whatever it is. You know, custom car culture, we love our, our automobiles so much uh, that, that the aftermarket for the automobile industry is a, is a multi, 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 multi-million dollar industry. We love our things. We give them names. My mother named our, our, our Peugeot 405, she named it Betsy. And every time, uh, the car didn't have a lot of guts and there was a lot of hills where we lived. And so we would go up there and, come on, Betsy, come on, Betsy, right? And we do this because we kind of develop this relationship with it. My, my, my oldest daughter was a student missionary in Bolivia this last year. And we went down there to visit her. The, one of the towns that's nearby there, they, ha- they have these things called Toritos. And a Torito is, is a cab that's kind of a motorcycle that's got a, you know, a kind of a, a dome thing on it. There's not a single one of those things that's alike. They're all customized. Everybody that's got pictures and names and stickers and things hanging from it and whatnot. We all do these things. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, when I was uh, in high school, he had one of these. I, this, this, this is a Renault what? Anybody know? Ah, you're showing your age well. Yes, all right? This is alumni weekend, so I figured there'd be somebody that would know, right? So a Renault Le Car, uh, this is a French car, and my friend bought one. His was yellow, and it had one of these rollback rag tops, okay? It's like a sardine can, just kind of rolls back, and you've got instant convertible. It was such a cool car, very, very French, right? The design and the flow and whatnot, not terribly big. Uh, my friend would say, hey, let's go somewhere after school, and if I drove, I got, we'd roll the top back, and I could drive it looking over the top of the car. I mean, it was cool. We like our forms of transportation, whether it's a car or a plane or a boat or a skateboard, whatever it might be, we like those things. But my Bible tells me that heaven will be even when it comes to transportation. You say, well, what on earth do you mean? Take your Bibles, please, and take a look at Acts chapter 8, verse 36. Acts chapter 8, beginning with the 36th verse. The story that we're going to jump into the middle of here is often referred to as the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. And if you're not familiar with the story, let me bring you up to speed. Uh, Jesus has, has died, been laid in the grave, he's risen again, he's returned to heaven. The Christian church has begun in earnest, and it's begun to spread dramatically, well outside of Jerusalem. Well, this, this, uh, this official, this Ethiopian eunuch, he was a high official in the Ethiopian government. And apparently, he had been practicing some form of Judaism for quite some time. He was returning from Jerusalem from the festival. And so he had been a long-time Bible study student, but he was confused by the things that he had recently read in the book of Isaiah, coupled with the events in Jerusalem. And he wondered, just wondered, maybe could it be that the Messiah has come? Well, through a series of rather miraculous circumstances, Philip is brought into contact, Philip, the the disciple of Christ, is brought into close physical contact with the chariot of the Ethiopian eunuch. The eunuch invites him up. Philip explains the verses in Isaiah the Ethiopian unit is convicted, and this is what happens next. Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, here is water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. 
Now, usually at this point in a sermon that's talking about Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, the point that is made is what, what, a, what a tremendous decision for the Lord, and not just for the eunuch, because we know from history that the seventh-day Sabbath, Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, the true biblical Sabbath is found in the fourth commandment, Exodus 20, etc., it was kept much more faithfully in Ethiopia for many, many years longer than many other portions of the world. Some have speculated that it all started right there with that one Ethiopian convert, that he took the Seventh-day Sabbath back with him and that that led to this, this, this greater permanency to the Seventh-day Sabbath in Ethiopia. It's a wonderful point. Praise the Lord for all of that decision and whatever consequences there were. For our purposes this morning, though, let's keep reading. Verse 39, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. Verse 40, Philip, however, appeared, bing, at Azotus and traveled about preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now that, my friends, is first-class transportation. Because Azotus was 15 to 20 miles away from where that baptism probably took place. 15 to 20 miles away, boom, just like that, heaven's transportation system kicks in, which makes me wonder about heaven. Hmm. Uh, to be clear, to my knowledge, there is no specific text in the Bible that describes precisely what our transportation options in heaven will be. But we must remember, we know at least this much, heaven will be than what we have here on earth. So let's get very practical about this. Currently, the fastest any human has gone is 24,816.1 miles per hour. This was set by a seminary student that heard that there was an open house reception at the nursing program building. <laughs> so he made haste, okay? That's actually not true. I'm sorry. It, it, it was actually this 24,816.1 miles per hour. That is an actual speed. It, the record was set by Apollo 10. It was in the U.S. space program. And on their way back from the moon, they went that fast. That is 36,397 feet per second. That is fast. And heaven will be... So, what does that mean? Well, we will be traveling faster. You say, well, well, how would we go about traveling faster if we're going to go faster than that? Well, again, we don't know for sure, but we have some pretty strong hints from the Bible that the mode of transport we will be using will include a fair amount of flying. Now, do any of you dream about flying Okay, all right. I'm not talking about those of you in the flight program. I mean, just like, like you flying without assistance. Okay, that happens to me frequently. I, I, I've heard it say that if you dream about flying, that you are genius level in your IQ. I'm not sure if that's true or not. But uh, so, so this flying thing, it, it, the idea, sometimes I think we just give this to the kids. You know, our children say, oh, you know, isn't it great to think about flying in heaven? Man, I cannot wait. And you say, well, well how, how do you know that this is going to be a thing? Well, uh, follow me carefully here. Uh, Jesus himself literally rose up from earth into heaven. He, he was a human like us, 100% God, 100% human. Acts chapter 1, when he goes to heaven, he doesn't just blink of an eye. He goes up. He flies. Uh, Elijah, in 2 Kings chapter 2, flies to heaven in a fiery chariot on the, quote, chariots and horsemen of Israel, 
Perhaps earthly fire, which kills and destroys here on earth, will in heaven simply be one more way to fly the friendly skies. We further know that the Bible says in Job chapter 1 and 2 that, quote, the sons of God gathered in heavenly assembly with God to discuss important matters. The Bible also refers to followers of Christ as sons and daughters of God, children of God. Well, the fact that the sons of God in Job 1 and 2 gathered, that word gathered, strongly implies that they traveled to get there from various posts and part of the universe, and I doubt they took a bus. The fact of the matter is that 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 is very crystal clear. We will be caught up in the what? In the air, that's right, to meet Jesus when he returns, perhaps our first taste of a life of many, many flights to come. Ladies and gentlemen, transportation in heaven will be? And you understand the possibilities that that opens up. This is absolutely astonishing. Can you imagine where we will be able to go? You know, Einstein, his special theory of relativity, 1905, general theory of relativity, 1915, he told us that it was impossible for a a physical object to travel faster than the speed of light. We are going to blow right through that speed limit. What you see on a cloudless sky in the night is going to be your playground in heaven. You will be able to travel to places and see worlds and beings and, and, and speak with them and talk with them in ways that you could not possibly do here on earth. God is going to finally entrust his people with the mode of transportation we were intended to have all along. What a blessing it will be. Praise the Lord that even transportation in heaven will be than anything we have right here. Now, again, speaking of better, uh, how many of you uh, have been to a family reunion? Show of hands. Family reunion? Anybody? Okay. Okay. Uh, another question. How many of you have enjoyed that experience? Okay. All right. That, that's pretty good. All right. Now, the next natural question in the sermon would be, how many of you did not enjoy the last time you went to family reunion? But this is alumni weekend, and your uncle and aunt are probably sitting on the other side looking to see what you're going to do with your hand if I ask that question, all right? So I'm not going to ask you, but I'll just tell you from personal experience. Uh, On my dad's side of the family, uh, there are not not many Adventists. In fact, I I tell people if they say, well, I I know so-and-so Anderson, is that a relative of yours? If they are male and their last name is Anderson and they're they're Adventist, they are not related to me. Okay, there's very few of us uh, on that that side of the family tree. Now, I have some wonderful relatives on that side. I also have some that have no interest in God, no interest in religion, and, and even less interest in somebody who is interested in both of those things like me, right? So I'm the white sheep of the family, and uh, when I go to a family reunion, I remember the last one that I went to, uh, they had all these tables set up, as they often do at family reunions, and there was this big, uh, big table with all kinds of spread and uh, carnivorous paradise type of thing that was there, lots of beer and wine, and, and blessedly there was salad and soda. So I got some of that, and I scanned the seating area, and I said, oh, okay, there's some cousins that I don't know real well, I will go and sit with them. And so I went down at the table, and uh, uh, they'd finished eating. They all had uh, beer in their hand. I sat down, and I kid you not, they lasted about 15 seconds or so, took a swig or two, stood up, and left <laughs> without saying a word, all right? But they did say quite a bit, didn't they? I mean, they, 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 made, they, they made an impression uh, that this was not a conversation that they were interested in being in. That family reunion was not terribly good. 
one more reason to praise the Lord that heaven will be when it comes to family reunions, because in heaven there will be no one to make you feel excluded, no one there that doesn't want to see or talk with you, and who will these people be? Ah, the Bible gives us some really good information on this. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Paul says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, ah, the great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. This cloud of witnesses. Who is included in that? Well, if we read earlier in chapter 11, there we would find that the Apostle Paul is is, is writing about this laundry list of the heroes of the faith. Those are the ones that are in the cloud of witnesses, and they are the very people that are going to be in heaven, and we might even add a few other names from the Bible to that list. You say, who's going to be there when we get to heaven? Well, Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Moses' parents, Rahab, Gideon, Deborah, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, uh, quote, the prophets, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Esther, those who've been persecuted for their faith, martyrs for God's cause by the thousands, they're all going to be there. Could it be that we will also see uh, the Reformers, John Knox, Martin Luther, John Huss, Hugh Latimer, Ulrich von Hutton, Carl Stott, etc., etc. And what a joy it would be to see our own luminaries James and Ellen White, Joseph Bates, Leroy Froome, Spalding, our own John Nevins Andrews, and so many more. And can you imagine when we get to heaven the conversations that you will be able to have? You see, there'll be people there that you've only read about this point, and you've only been able to use your imagination up to this point, but now they'll be right there. You'll be able to ask Joshua, Joshua, what was it like? Moses dies and you're put in charge. What was that like? You'll be able to look at Jacob and, and sit down with Jacob and say, what was it like to wrestle with God? I mean, how do you even do that? How do you, how do you wrestle with God? What was it like? Go to Malchus and say, well, what was it like after you had surgery on your ear? And on and on the list can go. And you see, because we're there for a thousand years and because we have memories that will not fade, unlike here on earth, We will remember every fact of every conversation and we will learn more about Jesus and more about salvation than we could ever have dreamed of learning here on earth. You see, one of the reasons that we have a thousand years in heaven before we come back to earth is that we have to be trained to become citizens of God's universe. And we will talk about teaching staff. Wow! What a reunion that will be. But even that doesn't do it justice. Because there's one other component to this reunion that's really, really important. On that day when Jesus returns to this planet, which I believe is going to be soon, those graves are going to open up. And those that we have loved and cherished but we have lost to death, those that have trusted in Jesus will be raised back to life. Not in sickness or in illness, but in in, in fresh flesh that will never see decay. You know, we know the truth, don't we? If, if, if you live long enough or any length of time on this planet, there will come a day when sadly you will be in a cemetery and you will be laying flowers on someone's casket that you wish very much you did not have to. Praise the Lord that when that trumpet sounds and the sky pulls back and the clouds roll up like a scroll, And those myriads of myriads, 10,000 times 10,000 angels descend. And the trumpet call of God comes so strong that it even wakes the dead. Your mother, your father, your brother, 
your sister, your friend, your family that trusted in Jesus will be raised back to new life. What a reunion that will be. No wonder they say that the reunions in heaven will be than anything we can find here on this planet. It will be such a better place. The environment will be better. The parks and scenery and places, all of that will be better. Our transportation will be better, moving at unimaginable speed, seeing the universe. The company will be able to keep our resurrected loved ones, the heroes of the faith from millennia past. All will be better in heaven and on the new earth, all of which leads us to an incredible future that right now we can only imagine, but that every last one of us can share in if we wish. I want to do something that I do not normally do in, in a sermon. I, I want to read to you, a, uh, it's, it's not terribly long, just, it, it, it's an extended excerpt here from the book Great Controversy. It, beginning on page 674 through page 678, uh, I'm just going to read some excerpts, I'm not going to read all that, that's here. I'm going, to, I'm going to put some pictures on the screen if you want your imagination to kind of follow along there. You're welcome to close your eyes as well if, if you're like me and sometimes you just like to picture what it's going to be like. Here's what the prophet has to say. She says, a a fear of making the future inheritance, so she's talking about heaven, seem too material, has led many to spiritualize away the very truths which lead us to look upon it as our home. Christ assured his disciples that he went to prepare mansions for them in the Father's house. Those who accept the teachings of God's word will not be wholly ignorant concerning the heavenly abode. And yet I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. Human language is inadequate to describe the reward of the righteous. It will be known only to those who behold it. No finite mind can comprehend the glory of the paradise of God. In the Bible, the inheritance of the saved is called a country. Hebrews 11, verses 14 to 16. There the heavenly shepherd leads his flock to fountains of living waters. The tree of life yields its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the service of the nations. There are ever-flowing streams, clear as crystal, and beside them waving trees cast their shadows upon the paths prepared for the ransom of the Lord. There the wide-spreading plains swell into hills of beauty, and the mountains of God rear their lofty summits. On those peaceful plains, beside those living streams, God's people, so long pilgrims and wanderers, shall find a home. Pain cannot exist in the atmosphere of heaven. There will be no more tears, no funeral trains, no badges of mourning. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, for the former things are passed away. The inhabitants shall not say, I am sick. The people that dwell therein shall be forgiven their iniquity. Revelation 21, Isaiah 33, verse 24. There immortal minds will contemplate with never-failing delight the wonders of creative power, the mysteries of redeeming love. There will be no cruel, deceiving foe to tempt to forgetfulness of God. Every faculty will be developed, every capacity increased. The acquirement of knowledge will not weary the mind or exhaust the energies. There, the grandest enterprises may be carried forward, the loftiest aspiration reached, the highest ambitions realized, and there will arise new heights to surmount, new wonders to admire, new truths to comprehend, fresh objects to call forth the the powers of mind and soul and body." All the treasures of the universe will be open to the study of God's redeemed. 
unfettered by mortality, they wing their tireless flights to worlds afar. Worlds that thrilled with sorrow at the spectacle of human woe and rang with songs of gladness at the tidings of a ransomed soul. With unutterable delight, the children of earth enter into the joy and the wisdom of unfallen beings. They share the treasures of knowledge and understanding gained through ages upon ages in contemplation of God's handiwork. With undimmed vision, they gaze upon the glory of creation, suns and stars and systems, all in their appointed order, circling the throne of deity. Upon all things, from the least to the greatest, the Creator's name is written, and in all are the riches of His power displayed. And the years of eternity, as they roll, will bring richer and still more glorious revelations of God and of Christ. As knowledge is progressive, so will love, reverence, and happiness increase. The great controversy is ended. Sin and sinners are no more. The entire universe is clean. One pulse of harmony and gladness beats through the vast creation. From Him who created all flow life and light and gladness throughout the realms of illimitable space. From the minutest atom to the greatest world, all things animate and inanimate, in their unshadowed beauty and perfect joy, declare that God is love. (laughs) Heaven will be than anything that we have here. I'd like to invite the musicians that will be part of our, our final song here to come onto the stage. And as they do, I would like to share with you two things. Number one, This is Alumni Weekend. I'm so glad that you're here. Some of you maybe come to Alumni Weekend most every year, and so this is is not new for you. Some of you may be back for the first time in a very long time. And it may be that you find yourself in a spiritual place that you know is not the best place for you to be. Maybe while you were here at Andrews, you were very active in the Lord. You, You served in ministry of some sort, but you've drifted away over those years. I want you to know how glad I am that you are here and how glad Jesus is that you are here. Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. He would have given his life for you if you were the only person alive on planet earth. And today as he sees you here, he is longing for you to be able to participate in this great heaven that is coming. He wants you to be there. That's why he gave his life. If you would like to make a turn, if you would like to come back, Jesus specializes in reversals. He knows exactly how to do it. And he can take you exactly right where you are right now and bring you into himself. That where he is, you may one day be also. If that's your your desire, if you'd like to make that decision for Jesus, at the closing prayer, after our closing song here, I'm going to have some space in that prayer where you can just share with the Lord the desires of your heart. We're going to pray for you at that time too. And secondly, for those of you, maybe you have a walk with the Lord and and, and you're strong in Him, but you have been tempted to despair because of what you see happening around you. You know, all you have to do is is, is watch a few newscasts or news feeds on on your iPad or phone or whatever it is you use for news. It is easy to see the darkness in the world, is it not? And many times, even Christians can look around at this darkness and become depressed. We can be tempted to despair. And if you find yourself in that place this morning, I just want to remind you, this world is not our home. We are just a passing through. And by God's grace, a better day is coming. 
that will take us out of this darkness. So do not give up. Do not despair. Do not stop serving the Lord. Redouble your efforts. Follow Him with all of your heart and your soul and your mind because a better day is coming. Heaven will be than anything that you have here and it will dwarf the troubles that you are being tempted right now to give into. Do not give up. Jesus is coming. Heaven is on its way. It is so good that we can only imagine just how blessed it will be.